Welcome to episode 76 of the Gunburners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. Um, special guest on this program for the first time, Brett Baker. We, we had to go find an Auburn guy. Guys, there's just so much going on around the Auburn football program right now. The hiring of a new athletic director, the firing of not only Brian Harson but uh, more staff members as well. Four more staff members, including two more assistant coaches. So three on-the-field coaches fired for Auburn. Um, a lot going on over there. And, of course, you know, there's there's already some hot names being thrown around, whether it's Lane Kiffin, Matt Rule, uh, Hugh Freeze, Jeff Grimes, Deion Sanders, guys like that. So we wanted to bring in an Auburn guy to get a perspective on uh, just the state of the program right now and, uh, and and the future of the program. So, Brett Baker, how's it going, man? Welcome to the Gumbrunners podcast. It's going good, brother. It's good to be here. Uh, my first question, I just want you to, to reflect on Harson's tenure. Um, I think you mentioned before we started recording that he might have been one of, one of, if not the worst coach that Auburn has ever hired. Uh, and, and if you think there was anything good that came out of it. Yeah, I mean, so statistically, he is the worst coach that Auburn has ever had for football in the, you know, 130 years that they've been playing. Um, him being hired, I, you know, getting a guy from the mountain West or from Boise, you, you, it's not the same kind of football that's played in the SEC. It's not the same recruiting. It, it just feels different. And I think that he came in completely overwhelmed and tried to bring his guys in, um, just wasn't able to do it. And especially with the pressure from the board, I think that he was in a whole different league than where he was at at Boise. Uh, yeah, I, um, I'll ask another question here, but then J-Law, Lester, y'all follow me up um, with questions of your own. I know y'all probably have some written down for him. Um, Brett, my, what I want to ask you next is with the state of the – what is the state of the Auburn program right now? And from an, Auburn's fan, an Auburn fan's perspective – and I know it's easy to, to hate on him. Even as an Auburn fan, I know you've really been tough on him uh, these last couple of months. Uh, but from your perspective, how appealing is the Auburn job still to a bigger name like a Lane Kiffin or Hugh Freeze? So if you're going to compare it to Lane Kiffin, so Auburn and Ole Miss are essentially identical over the past decade. Uh, they have the same record you know, the same amount of bowl appearances. Uh, Auburn has one less bowl win than Ole Miss does. Um, and so they're they're on equal footing. Um, so I don't know if you're Lane Kiffin, if you go, I mean, you're going horizontal coming to Auburn. And if you've looked at Auburn the past couple of years, Ole Miss is on the up right now. Auburn is fighting to not be last place in the SEC. I mean, we went into overtime against Missouri. Um, we're kind of down there with Vanderbilt right now. Um, and so I don't think that Auburn has a very appealing job at all. Um, so whoever they bring in might just have to be the guy to turn it around. It might not be the long-term guy, but it's got to be a guy that's going to be able to come in, set some footing, and get the program turned around back to where, you know, it could go. Hey, you know, Brent, I, I, my oh, bad. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lester. No, I was going to say, Brent, oh. you know, it feels like we're talking to a realistic Auburn fan here. 
Um, I would still put you guys above Ole Miss as far as a program overall. However, Lane Kiffin does have a lot less pressure and a pretty good number that he gets paid a year, $7.5 million. Realistically, from your guys on the planes, from you and your your Auburn circles, man, who excites you? And of those names, who is realistic? Because if Saban died tomorrow, I'd have a list of 50 people, but all those guys aren't going to be realistic. So who excites you? And who's a guy that excites you that's realistic to be able to get this job that Auburn that all Auburn fans you think would be excited about? So the most realistic one that I see actually happening is probably going to be Hugh Freeze, only because he has the SEC experience coming in. He knows how to recruit the SEC, and he's been there before, and he's won. Um, so that's where I see the most realistic. Um, the one that I would really like to see just because uh, – a little wild card Dion action, I think would be hilarious to see. And he would, he's already getting a lot of top recruits just because of who he is. Um, and so I think that it would bring a lot of attention to Auburn. Uh, maybe not the greatest attention, but you know, even bad publicity is still publicity. Um, and I think that he would kind of not be able to be bossed around by the board, kind of like Harson was. Um, and so I think that him coming in would be kind of a breath of fresh air. It'd be something new. Um, and I think that if, you know, Carnell Williams stayed, um, the two of them could really have a dynamic offense going. Hey, Bray, you brought up uh, some key words there, and that is being bossed around. Um, how, how do you feel about John Cohen coming in as AD and – you know, when bringing in a new coach, how do you feel about, you know, the legendary boosters and things being able to stay out of his way and let him get the job done? Or how do you think that that, that job has to go? Are you going to have to tell the boosters to just, you know, give you money, let me handle the things, or is the new guy going to have to buddy-buddy up with them and, you know, be a friend to them? Because clearly they've shown if, if, if you're not going to, you know, Buddy, buddy, with us, like we don't like you, we're going to get you out of here. So, how do you feel about Cohen, and how do you feel the next coach is going to have to deal with the the big people involved in Auburn? So, you're either going to have to find a guy that is a yes man, which is essentially what the boosters want right now, or you're going to have to find a guy that's going to be able to come in to basically tell them to shut up and let me run it how I want to. And I think that Brian Harson tried to do that, but he just didn't have the talent to go along with his mouth. Um, you know, Cohen is not exactly a football guy. Um, he's more of a baseball guy. So I know that, you know, Butch is having a field day with this um, and Bruce likes him as well. But, you know, those aren't the, prog the programs that are struggling right now. Um, so not bringing in a football AD is kind of strange to me. Um, so I don't know why we would go after the guy at Mississippi State. I mean, Mississippi State did win a World Series two years ago. Um, so they have that going for them. So unless we're just, you know, accepting our football, it's kind of going to be down for the next couple of years until we're able to find a coach or, you know, boosters kind of get out of the way and let somebody get in and try to build. Um, I don't see this changing anytime soon. Well, Brett, do you agree with that? style of doing things over there. And I know it's been done at Auburn for forever, but that's not the only place that it's been done. Alabama was like that for a very, very long time post Bear Bryant. 
and everybody's hand was in the cookie jar. Um, you know, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, whatever analogy you want to put. And then finally, Mal Moore said, screw this. Something's got to give. And he goes down there and he brings back Nick Saban, who had won a national championship in the SEC West at another school. And Saban basically said, look, y'all got to stay out of my way. Give me what I want and just trust me. Now, I know there's not a ton of those folks out there, if any, that would come to Auburn. But do you agree with the way that Auburn does things over there? And Mike Lester was saying, this new guy that comes, or maybe it was you, I'm sorry, this this whoever it is that comes in, if they if they say, I think you, Hugh Freeze is the yes man you're looking for. I think he's a perfect fit because he has SEC West experience. Um, he's had success against Nick Saban, which is always a big plus over there in Auburn. And, um, and, and he would comply with what the boosters want him to do. And he would go to all the events that he needs to go to to make everybody happy and also put a good product on the field. So I think he is the best fit for Auburn. But um, if you did have a guy that came in, kind of like you said Harson did, and um, and kind of tell the, the boosters that, you know, stay out of my way, give me the keys, do the boosters or the powers that be finally hand the keys over and say, hey, look, I'm going to trust you on this and I'm going to give you what you want? Because it seems like at Auburn – the guys that have done that and that weren't buddy buddy with the with the powers that be and with the big boosters over there, they didn't they didn't give him the resources that he need. They might have given him some, but Gus Malzahn asked for that that football only facility for years. I mean, since he got there in 2013, and you know Harson, this collective is it's funny how it just comes out the day after Harson's fired or the day the Harson is fired. So obviously he didn't have any access to that in order to help him recruiting. And you've got to have some kind of help NIL wise in recruiting. So do you, do you agree with the way things are done over there as a whole? Well, to kind of touch on his recruiting, um, I don't know if you heard or read what the coach from Thompson high school said about it. Um, but if you don't recruit in your own state, I mean, because the coach from Thompson basically said that he had never had any contact with Harson. And you can't do that because Thompson is a very big high school in Alabama, very well known for their football. And so not even like trying to become close with those kind of coaches, there's no way you're going to be able to recruit because you have to be able to recruit the grassroots guys in the own state before you're able to kind of expand on that. And so I, I don't know if, if that was him just being arrogant and thinking that because he was at a place that like Auburn that people would just come um, or if he really just didn't care at all since the, once the first season got over with. Yeah. Um, I, I see it from both sides though. Cause I, you know, Horson, he didn't do anything to help himself out. There's no question about that. I mean, this guy did not put enough into recruiting. You're hundred percent right on that. There were multiple coaches in the States of Alabama and Georgia that said that they had no relationship with Brian Harson. But at the same time, he wasn't allowed all the resources that he might have needed to recruit. Do you agree with that? How many resources do you need to pick up well, the phone and call a high school yeah, coach uh, or yeah. something like that? I, I mean, mean really, it's to, just you have really to be it's just money the effort there. Because to me, I mean, how yeah. many, how much, how much relationships did Jimbo Fisher have with these guys? I mean, a lot. There was like four or five of them that took a visit the weekend before signing day, 
and then committed to Texas A&M because they were getting cash. So I get it. And, and I'm not giving, I'm not making any excuses for Harson because he, he did a piss poor job and just about everything he did. And he was smug about it too. I think, do you think that has a lot to do with it? The, the smugness and the arrogance of, you know, I'm too good for the South. I've heard that rumor as well. Well, I do think that his arrogance got in the way, and especially with the boosters, because if he would have been able, if he would have been willing to kind of give up some of his arrogance, um, he might have done better with, you know, kind of getting the resources that he might have wanted um, going into the job or might have needed to, you know, fully fulfill his duties as the head coach. Brett, we have been, um, we've been saying for a little bit that Harson just completely cashed it in, mailed it in, really since the summer when recruiting started happening and Auburn was getting no commits and then rolling into the year. Are you under the impression – do Auburn fans feel like this guy just quit and just said, screw it, you're going to give me my money and I'm going to leave? Or was he actually trying? At any, If any at all, was he trying at the end of his tenure? Or did he just mail it in and say, you guys are going to fire me, I know it, I don't care how it ends. I'm tanking your program. Everything's going down with me. How do you think? How do you think it all ended with Harson? Well, so I think that he really kind of gave up on the program when all the allegations came out, um, all the slander of him with um, the crochet girl or whatever her name is. Um, and then when Ad Green got fired, I think that he knew that his time was up at Auburn um, because Ad Green was kind of the only guy that was that had his side. Um, was sticking up for him, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, Bruce and him were friends, but I don't know if that was just being colleagues at a big university or if they were actually, like, you know, buddy-buddy. Um, so I think that he was really just riding his time out and kind of just was doing the day-to-day things to not essentially get his buyout. So, Brett, how long now that Harson's gone, how long do you think it'll be for Auburn to turn the program around? And what do you see as a complete turnaround? Like, do you have a do you have a record in mind, uh, consistent bowl games? Like, what does a turnaround to make the Auburn fan base happy look like in your opinion? I mean, to make me happy and the Auburn fan base happy are probably gonna be two different answers, but I I think to really I think an eight and four season would be a turnaround for Auburn at this point, maybe even a seven and five with some decent road wins um, and good second half play because Auburn has had very, very, very poor second half play in almost every game that we've had. Um, So it's just kind of little things that if you are able to see progress, it will be beneficial to the fan base as a whole. Um, But for the Auburn kind of like the generic Auburn population. Um, it It's always going to be SEC West titles and national championships. That's what everybody strives for. But I don't think that Auburn is there yet. Um, I think a very successful season for them could be a 10-2, and 9-3 and bowl game, um, just kind of where we're at right now in the, in the toilet that is Auburn football. Um, so something, a winning record, decent SEC record, um, winning a bowl game for once instead of going and losing to Wisconsin or Minnesota or Houston um, would be nice or Houston <laughs> or basically any bowl game we played the last five years would be great. 
because we kind of just give it up man how important is it to get this one right because i think what it's either two years from now or 2025 that texas and oklahoma get in the league tennessee's getting good and we know that tennessee has no in-state talent so they go to atlanta they try to come to birmingham they try to go to all these one-off places that auburn has notoriously been able to get talent from um but how important is it to get this hire right and get the recruiting back on track. How, I guess, how far set back do you think Auburn is right now? And how hard is the next coach going to have to work to get Auburn historically probably a little bit better than it has been forever? And then considering Texas and OU are coming into the league, which probably bumps everybody but Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU down two spots, maybe A&M. So how important is it to get this right before those two teams come in? Well, I think that you have to get a guy that is going to be a strong recruiter coming in. Um, because once you get once you get your first good recruiting class, people follow recruiting classes. And they always want to go to – I mean, it, statistically, you look at Alabama, you look at Ohio State, Georgia – very, very strong recruiting classes every year. So you got to get a guy that comes in and is able to compete with those. Because if you can't compete with Alabama and Georgia, you know, Tennessee now, LSU, in the SEC, then what's the point of coming to Auburn? I mean, because you have to be willing to go after those types of players. Um, and I think with, you know, Texas and Oklahoma joining, that really hurts Auburn. Um, because this year, I know that Oklahoma's down a bit, but, I mean, historically, they are a very good team. Texas is a very good team. And Texas is coming into the SEC with a lot of money in NIL that they can kind of just throw around. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in 25 when they're able to to start their SEC schedules because I think that that actually just bumps Auburn down a lot with both of them coming. Brett, one, one thing I've always – thought or not always but in, in in Nick Saban's run and now the dynasty that Kirby Smart is is starting over at Georgia that's looking a lot similar to what Alabama is doing both on, on the recruiting trail and on the field I've always thought that the Auburn program rushes everything because of that and their expectations are even higher than what they usually are because of the success that Alabama and Georgia have had. I mean, it's your two biggest rivals. Um, so with the new guy coming in, how long – it? Like, let's say that all the powers that be agree on him, and let's say that he gets the resources that he needs, um, and he – what are the – how long does he get? Because you're looking at Nick Saban, I say anywhere from five to seven years max. I don't see this guy coaching until he's 80 years old. Um, so how long does this guy get when your two biggest rivals are consistently in the college football playoff every single year, winning national championships? How long does this guy get? Because if you come in in your first season, you're seven and five, then the next season, you're eight and four. Then the third season, you're eight and four, nine and three. Do they do they stay with the guy, or do they have to have immediate success? That's borderline delusional to me. That's the way I look at it because you're not going to come in. Because look, another thing I want I want to ask you is how quickly with the transfer portal because that's that's all that's all anybody talks about nowadays. How quickly 
realistically, can you turn a team around that's where Auburn is? Because there's not 20 just studs in the transfer portal just begging to come to Auburn right now. I mean, Auburn needs help on the defensive line, offensive line, quarterback, receiver, DB. I, I mean, like Derek Hall's leaving. I mean, linebacker everywhere, almost every single position. Uh, Tank's leaving. I don't think Jarquez Hunter's that great. Damari Austin's very small. So running back as well, almost every single position. Auburn needs help out of the portal. So a guy coming in that hits the portal hard, like a Kiffin or Hugh Freeze or whoever, how long will it take to build up a roster that's ready to compete with the top teams and not just the West, but Georgia also? And how long does 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 the fan base give him? So it, it's going to take years. It's not going to be just an overnight thing. I think that the fan base might give them two years. Um, but realistically, I think it's going to be closer to like the three to five range before That's Auburn brutal. becomes in, even in contention with kind of Kirby Smart kind of a team or Saban team. Um, just because you're going to have to have those guys that have the experience the, or, of playing in the SEC. And that's not going to come with a transfer portal guy out of the Pac-12. And so you you have to have the recruits and you have to almost fluff with the transfer portal um, because you're going to have to build guys that buy into your system, not buy into your NIL. And I think that's going to be a big difference. That's why Saban is still killing it. That's why Kirby's killing it because they have their systems and people buy into that. They're not buying into, I mean, like Jimbo Fisher, Texas a and it's three and four. They bought into the money. They didn't buy into Jimbo. And so I think that you had that's going to come in and be able to recruit. And I think it's going to be a while because you are going up against, you know, two of the top four every single year in recruiting. And does a fan base, are they patient enough with him to, to allow that? Uh, no. <laughs> Short answer, no. Not so even we're gonna close. Be- <laughs> We're, we're yeah. going to be in the same situation in two years. I, listen, I get it. It's hard. I mean, it, it pains me to see Tennessee number one. I mean, I I bought Florida State gear to wear during the 2013 BCS National Championship game. Like, it sucks watching teams that you hate be so good. And unfortunately for Auburn, one of those is your in-state rival and the, the other one's the oldest rivalry in the South. So, I guess, like, how do – is it – at Auburn, and I, I have Auburn friends that will say, look, man, we want to be super competitive every two to three years, like 10 and 2, 11 and 1, fighting for the West at the end of the year. I think that's all you can ask for. It's what Alabama's going to be doing this year, going down the stretch and be fighting for the West. So, but is is that like is, – is Georgia and Alabama both being good? Has that just changed that mindset? Because I thought that's what it was for Auburn fans probably – during, at least during Gus Malzahn's tenure, before Kirby got really, really good at Georgia. Let's be competitive every two to three years. We're at Auburn. We don't necessarily have the resources that Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, especially the recruiting hotbeds that they've always that those schools have been able to tap into. So is is every two to three years super competitive with some nine and threes, eight and fours mixed in? Is that still going to be good enough? Or is is Auburn really trying to 
do Auburn fans want to be or feel the expectation should be, listen, we want to be 11 and one sitting in the college football playoff and the college football playoff is going to be a lot easier to get into maybe starting in what next year, 2023, 2024 with a 12 team playoff. So I, I think that I would be moderately content if we could compete for the, the playoff spot every two to three years. I think I would be okay with that. As long as we don't have kind of like the Chiswick situation where we compete and then the next year we are awful. Um, I think that, you know, if we can go, you know, a 10 and two and then follow it up with maybe an eight and four, um, I think I'd be okay with that because you lose guys that are very hard to replace. Like we're losing Tank this year. Um, finding a guy like Tank is going to be very hard to replace just because he, he is who he is. Um, and especially with the lack of offensive line that he's had, putting up the numbers that he does. I mean, I think that he has more yards after contact than he does yards before contact right now, which is crazy to think of as a running back. But Yeah, Brett, it, I kills, mean, it, it kills me because during Gus Malzahn's tenure, I know he had some seven and fives mixed in, and his last year wasn't the best. But, man, Auburn was better than – in a better situation with their record, a better situation of competing every two to three years, going to beat their in-state rival, go to Atlanta. He went to a national title game. That's better than, what, 94 95% of the teams in the FBS. Go back and look at how many different teams have made the playoff. It's not many. It's Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan, and some Pac-12 teams mixed in every now and then, plus Oklahoma. I mean, it isn't like there's a lot of teams that have actually competed for national championship or even a playoff during the playoff era during Gus's tenure, man, I, you guys were 95% of the college football was envious of where Auburn stood on the totem pole. And I think that's what kind of baffles a lot of people across the country. It's like, man, Auburn's competing with Kirby and Nick. And every three years, these guys are going to be in the top five fighting for a conference title. And that's something that most schools across this country in the power five are never even going to get a chance to do. I, so there were things that Gus did well, um, but player development, I don't think was one of them. Um, and that's really kind of his downfall. And he kind of ran the same, you know, high school offense the whole time that he was there. Um, but that's a whole different story with him, but he's doing a great job at UCF right now, even though I can't stand him still. Um, <laughs> his, his records at Auburn were, were good. Um, you know, beating Alabama 2017 and then, you know, losing to Georgia and allowing Alabama into the playoffs. That was one of the highlights that I enjoyed. Um, but I, he did fine at Auburn. Um, I think he's a much better OC than he is a head coach. Um, because I don't, I don't think he does well with a lot of the blame that gets put on a head coach if something does go wrong. Um, I think that he's much better as, like, sit, kind of sitting in the booth calling the plays kind of guy. There's a rumor, Brad, and this is the this is our our final question. We'll we'll get you out of here. There's a rumor. I that, swear to God, if you say that he's coming back, who? Gus. Gus. No, 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 no. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I I, I don't get. I'm I'm with J Law here. I gotta agree with. I don't understand. I, I don't get it. So you gotta break it down for me a little bit more than. He did some things well, and he did some things not well. But Gus Malzahn 
beat Alabama in back-to-back home games and Jordan Hare. I mean, they, they won in 2015, didn't win again until last year. Where they had to squeak one out in four overtimes. Uh, and I get it's a tough place to play, but they always played Alabama hard. Um, they, they did beat Georgia in 2017, had a shot. They, they won the West, had a shot to, to go to the college football playoff. They went to a national championship in 2013. But the consistency wasn't there. And that's exactly what I was talking about earlier with being squeezed in between Alabama and Georgia. I think that naturally raises expectations to a higher standard than what Auburn is capable of doing. I don't think they're a program that's capable of being in the playoff year in and year out. Now it's a good question by J-Law is that, are you okay with having, you know, every two to three years, having a really good team and a shot to get in the playoff um, and be a top five team? And, and, you know, win some playoff games whenever it does go to that 12 number that it's going to. Um, but just break that down because there, there was a rumor that the president wanted to hire Kevin Steele and everybody was behind that. And then when they fired Gus out of nowhere, he found out about the Kevin Steele and he told him that would be a bad decision, whatever. And then the president bailed on it. And they were saying the other day, and this this is something that something that I read. You can confirm it or deny it, and that's fine. Um, there was a rumor that if if they would have known that the president was going to bail out on hiring Kevin Steele, then they would have never fired Gus. So I, my question is just how bad? What did Gus do to make y'all so mad that everybody hates him? I mean, the guy's got it. He hit the, he hit the portal hard. He went and got John John Rice Pony from Ole Miss. I mean, this guy's got a top five offense in the country right now, and he's got the he's got the Golden Knight sitting at the at number twenty five in the first college football playoff rankings that were just announced on Tuesday. So, what did he do to hurt you guys so bad? Because from an Alabama perspective, he terrified us. I mean, he won a game because he because we were we had a a legal substitution on on a punt play that he had saved just for Alabama. I mean, we, Alabama fans were terrified of Gus and Jordan Hare. We did not like to play that guy at all. So the, the thing with Gus that really got to me was he was so inconsistent in SEC play that, I mean, we, we would win our non-conference games as you should. Um, But I mean, if you just, if you just look at his tenure, Auburn, 2013, he had a fantastic year. You know, we went to the BCS National Championship game, lost that to Florida State, whatever. Next year, we go four and four in the SEC. Then 2015, we're two and six in the SEC. There's just no consistency. And then 2016, five and three. 2017, 2018, I mean, seven and one. 2017, three and five in 2018. So he has great success one year and then completely loses it from year to year. And so I think that's the thing that made people so frustrated with him is that there was no consistency at all with him. So if you had a coach that you were guaranteed to go eight and four every single year, would that be better? Well, I mean, so that's tough. That's not, I mean, that's, it's tough. Cause like, you might not ever – okay, let's say nine and three, and you might have a shot every four or five years. That's what you're looking for, right? I don't know if that's what you look for. Um, but I, I think you have to play stronger in the SEC to, to be able to compete. 
and and Auburn with the the fans and the faithful and everything because people don't like losing SEC games. Um, and Gus did a great job of beating Saban, but he still kind of failed to beat Georgia year in year out. Um, and he, we would slip up, lose to LSU, um, you know, lose to Ole Miss. And it, it was kind of just a – he always had these hiccup games that should have been won um, that we would go in and just get completely blown out with. Well, Brett, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know it's not – a great time for the Auburn fan base right now, but you know, you did a really good job, really good interview. You gave us exactly what we needed because if it's us three sitting around talking about Auburn, you know, we don't get that inside information. We don't get it from an Auburn perspective and we really appreciate, appreciate you coming on and, uh, and giving us a look into the state of the Auburn program right now. What needs to happen in the future, man? Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to next Monday. You know, basketball is kicking off. It's a big sport at Auburn now. <laughs> Bruce Pearl is going to have Neville arena rocking. I'm sure. So I'm excited to start something that maybe we'll win at. Bruce Pearl. It's only three and three versus Nate Oates. That's okay. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. We appreciate Brett as always. Uh, I mean, Guys, that's really all we could ask for. Um, realistic, realistic. In that, yeah, because I mean, it, it's not sunshine pumping. We didn't want that, but we didn't want Debbie Downer either. He gave both sides of what needs to happen, and he was clear about it. I think. I mean, maybe they should hire Brett. I mean, what? what like, he's not gonna. Uh, I think I Brett is the spokesman for the fan base. Yeah. For real, maybe he, he should, should be the powers that be. He should be on the, the fan search committee. It it just kills me because Auburn was in a spot where a lot of schools would have died to have been, and here they are now. But transfer portal, NIL era, um, it's not as hard, I don't think, to claw your way back out of a hole. I mean, Auburn's only national title in the last, what, 70 years was transfer portal quarterback that was a, a felon or something. So, and his dad took $300,000. Yeah. They had a run of those because Nate Marshall was a felon also. That's true. With the weed. But um, <laughs> guys, unfortunately we have to stop talking about Auburn because Alabama's got to play a freaking road game in a hurricane. Oh, I, look, I, let me let me get this off my chest first. Go, going into this week, last week I, I did not need a bye week because I get for those that don't know I get super locked in whenever Alabama plays, whether it's um, at home, you know, tailgating is all I'm thinking about. If I'm there uh, and when they're on the road and I, and I don't go, I'll watch. Other games will be on my TV. It's not like I watch Harry Potter all day. Um, I'll, I'll have other games on and I might flip a little bit, but I don't get too invested in them. I don't watch them too closely, but during the bye week, I've got nothing to lock in on. So of course I watched every play of the Auburn game. How could you not? Um, but you know, I got to sit around and watch all these, all these game, all these teams play. And, and I mean, like Kansas state, Ole Miss, Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, Ohio state, Penn state, every team I watched ran a better offense than what Alabama does. 
So how as a head coach can you look at what Bill O'Brien is bringing to the table every week scheme-wise and not step in and say something? I know you're a defensive guy, but everything runs to you. You yelled at Kiffin plenty. I mean, why, how do you step in? And how, do, how does Bill O'Brien have so much power over the offense? I mean, Alabama has better skill players than everybody in the country except for Ohio State. That includes Georgia and Tennessee. Tennessee's receivers aren't any better than Alabama's. But what's the difference? Their scheme gets them open. How many times is Jalen Hyatt going up and, and going up over somebody and made a catch? No, he's always wide freaking open. I mean, J-Law can catch those. Lester can catch those. I mean, there, there's nobody there. <laughs> And, and yeah, he's got speed to get bombed, but his scheme really helps with that. Um, as a head coach, this defensive minded, how can you handcuff your offense like this, especially when you talk about wanting to score points and score and score and score? So, kind of bad for me that Alabama had a bye week and I got a chance to watch other offenses. I mean, you watch uh, the Maction this week. And it's just tremendous. These guys are running fake field goals, fake punts, they're running trick plays, they're throwing the ball all over the lot. I absolutely love it. So um that was just my little off off week rant. Jayla, what did you do last weekend to to celebrate the bye week? Yeah, I watched the same games you guys did and I texted y'all through them and it's like, dude, what are we doing? Because the only the only offense I've seen that looks like ours is Texas AM's. And uh just listen, I know I texted y'all about it. Just listening to uh, Jordan Rogers and Cole Kublik talk about pro-style offense that Alabama runs, that Jimbo Fisher also runs, a little variation different. But, you know, why it's good and why it's bad, it's really good when everybody on your team is a, in their 25th start or more and your quarterback has a full grasp of the offense and so do the receivers and they know exactly where to be and everybody's going to execute perfectly on this play because if everybody doesn't, the play's going to fail. And that's essentially what Jordan Rogers and Cole Kubel said. They were like, listen, with the, the pro style is set up because somebody should be open on a play. When If you make all your checks, all your reads, based off what the defense is doing, if they don't get any pressure, if your offensive line holds up, if the receivers run the right routes, if the running back picks up protection, this play will be successful. Dude, just run a play that's going to get a guy wide-ass open down the field and throw it to him. Why do all those things have to come into play for you to be able to get somebody open. And I did, it just really hit home to me. I was like, you know, we've been talking about it. It's hard to describe it, but Jordan Rogers and Cole Kublik just laid it out to you why Jimbo Fisher's offense at, um, at A&M isn't clicking right now. And it's hard to say that when you watch Alabama, probably from a Cole Kublik and a Jordan Rogers standpoint, because they might get two Bama games all year. And so they're running in, they're interviewing the coaches, they're looking at the numbers, oh, 48 points per game. 25 first downs per game. They're second in the league in rushing. They're seventh in passing, but Bryce Young has only played like four quarters all year. But it's still frustrating to watch Alabama in this system that's not set up to just score as many points as possible. It's set up to control games. It's set up to take the the game tempo, move it in your favor, and it's set up for players that are essentially NFL caliber players, pro style, to go out and execute against other NFL players and that's just not what we need to be doing and I watched Penn State run their offense Ohio State I watching Bo Nix at Oregon who's Dan Lanning's at Georgia I know he's a defensive coordinator but he's 
running the freaking West Coast spread, chunk it all over the yard, QB runs, whatever needs to be done. And then I watch that A&M game. And then I think back on Alabama, and I'm just like, got luster. Why? It's just like, it just really is ask yourself, I don't want to, because it's just like, why are we doing this and not doing that? Yeah, yeah. I, I share my frustrations with you guys. We all felt the same um, on the bye week, watching fun offensive football being played. Um, and I asked y'all the question. I was like, I was like what is Saban doing today? Is, is he watching this? Because if he's watching the college football like we are, there's no way he can watch film and look at his offense week in, week in and week out and be like, yep, this is, a, this is what's up. This is the right thing to do. This is exactly what we should be doing with the best quarterback in college football in America today. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. Why? I don't know. Maybe BLB has, I don't know, Nick Saban's killed somebody and BLB found out about it or something. I don't know. But if it's Nick Saban's offense or whatever it is, change it. Change it overnight. Do whatever you have to do to do something to get guys running wide open. I mean, there's clearly, if you watch other games, you know when you watch it, there's what three or four plays every game that's specifically schemed just to get one guy open before the ball is snapped. Everybody knows it's going on that one guy because based off the defense, this is what they're going to do in XYZ situation. We don't see any of that, any kind of creative, fun, or just plain common sense, thoughtful pro- thoughtful process in our offense. It's basically just get out here, run this route, do what we tell you to, and what happens, happens. Bryce, make something happen. There's no rhyme or reason to anything, and it's, it's just frustrating. It was a very frustrating Saturday watching all these um, other teams go out um, dominate, not even dominate, but just scheme and have fun offensive play. So I don't know. It is what it is. We've got BLB. We got to stick with them. Lester, uh, over the two weeks, how much do you think changes for Alabama? Do you think that we get this the remaining four games left in the season, or do you think that? And, and I'm and I'm saying I'm not saying that Bill O'Brien's going to come out and we're going to be running Sarkeesian's offense or a Lane Kiffin type offense. But do you think there's some wrinkles and stuff that we throw in? Uh, there may be some wrinkles here and there, but I don't think that, that it'll be anything drastic. drastic. I mean, yeah, uh, I, yeah. You, I a, you right. may mix in a reverse or something here. What's they what's they try to do against um, mistake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mistake or whatever. I mean, you'll see little stuff like that just because the defense is keying in on one thing so much. They'll try to. Throw, throw a wrinkle in it to mix up a little bit, but it's not going to be anything drastic. It won't be anything to be excited about for sure. Well, they run in reverse. I might have a heart attack. Um, the perks of the bye week, J-Law, health-wise, you know, Bryce's shoulder, Jaheim Otis, DJ Dell, they're the interior defensive line, Deontay Lawson, um, Jameer Gibbs, and Jace McClellan, uh, maybe Seth McLaughlin, hopefully all close to 100%. After the bye week, I know Justin Boyby is gone for the year. It's a tough loss for Alabama. They're on the defensive line. But how much – how improved from the Mississippi State game to the LSU game do you expect this whole team to be saying that those guys are healthy? Because, I mean, they have to be – none of them had major stuff, but a lot of them did have some minor injuries that I'm sure they got three or four days off, got a lot of treatment. Um 
got a lot of heat, a lot of ice, a, a lot, you know, massages, whatever they needed to do, maybe some rehab to get them back to where they need to be for this stretch run. And it's one of the toughest in college football. I mean, you got a top 10 matchup this week. Next week, we'll have a top 12 matchup more than likely at, at Ole Miss, and both of them are on the road. Um, you get past those two games and you have two cupcakes at home, but uh, what do you expect from this Alabama team if they if they are as healthy as they should be? Yeah, you know, even in the bye week, just, you know, Eli Ricks getting more reps with the ones on defense. That was my next question. My, my bad. Uh, but no, Go listen, o- Otis and Dale, I think that's big. Um, you, I think you could tell that both those guys – were a little banged up against Tennessee. They just didn't have – I know Tennessee's offensive line is good, not taking anything away from them. A little banged up there. Um, that's going to help that defense a lot, especially with the boy be out, man. No depth, and the defensive line still played as well as it did against uh, Mississippi State, who does like to run the ball a little bit more than normal. Was impressed with them. Demond Payne, a few of the other guys that got reps. But the big one for me is 56 ago. Is 56 ago. Bryce – Apparently didn't practice from the time he got hurt against Arkansas all the way through Mississippi State, like through nothing at practice except to just to get loose. So hopefully he – I mean, hopefully he's close to 100%. I'm going to guess that he should be like right at it, especially if he hasn't practiced in four weeks or in a month. That if 56 is healthy and you feel like you can lean on Gibbs a little bit more with his shoulder injury. I know Jace is a little banged up. But the key is going to be 56 from a communication standpoint, from a run blocking standpoint, from the offensive line being on the same page standpoint. To me, that's the big one. And if, if they are healthy, um, you know, no excuses. If we run 56 out there and we run Dale and, and Otis and Bryce Young is slinging it like he was against Tennessee, no excuses, man. Go out, win the game. I don't care if it's a struggle win at this point. I don't care if it's 27-24 win this game, survive in advance. I'll, I'd love to win it by 20. I'll give you my score prediction later. But if you're healthy, go out and win this game. Because LSU, is get, they look sneaky good. I mean, they scored 40 in a row and Ole Miss. So this, is, this isn't going to be an easy one. You know, doubt. Yeah, we'll definitely break that game down here in a couple of minutes. Um, Lester, two guys specifically I want to ask you about. J-Law touched on one, Eli Ricks. Um very important that he gets two weeks of practices, maybe seven or eight practices with the ones, which helps tremendously. Um, and uh, and also Tyler Harrell. How much do you think we see him, if any? Because he's been, I think, maybe, what, Tennessee week he came back and was practicing, maybe doing some, maybe some limited practice stuff. And then, of course, you know, against Mississippi State, he gets in the game at the end and catches a 12-yard pass from Jalen Milrow. So with the bye week, are there any changes you see in the receiver rotation with him maybe sliding into maybe maybe not starting, but getting, you know, 15, 20 plays in? So talk about Rick's first and how important it is for his development and the overall defensive development, especially in the secondary, to get more practices with him at the starting corner. Um, we're in the starting corner rotation and then the impact of Tyler Harrell that we'll see on Saturday, if any. Yes, my guy, <laughs> Eli Ricks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't understand how uh, why he would need to be mixing in with the secondary. Um, just leave that guy alone on the island by himself, and he'll be just fine. The, the safety is battle, and 
Hey, long as you guys do what you want to do, Rick's got his guy. I promise you, his guy's good. His guy's not going nowhere. His guy probably won't even have a catch. So Rick's is good. Rick's is good. We're gonna we're gonna leave Rick's alone. But as far as um, Tyler Harrell coming in, um, there may be. All right, so check this out. There may be a mix up in the rotation, but the production will still stay the same. I don't think that he's gonna come in and set the world on fire. It's not like we have a um JMO, Jameson Williams type guy coming in. So that's how I feel about it. He may come in, he may play. I don't see him until we see it. I don't see him coming in and being a immediate playmaker, game changer type of player. So until we see it, he's gonna have to prove it to us. That's kind of how I feel. Like it's hard to even get excited about the guy. Um, because you know, based off our scheme, based off how our current wide receivers are, unless he's just the second coming of, you know, Julio, Smitty, Devonta, you know, whatever, I don't see an increase in production or our offense looking any different when he's in the game. Well, I mean, right now, don't you just have to be average to sneak into the receiver rotation? Yeah, that that's true. That's <laughs> that's very fair. I mean, be average if he's fast, can run by somebody. You know, Bryce can lay it out there for him. I don't know how much he'll be to lay it out in that weather down there in Baton Rouge, but uh, yeah, yeah, that that will be a factor for sure. J Law, the reflection for both coordinators during the bye week. I, I got Lester to talk about Bill O'Brien earlier. If, if we see anything different, last year was a big fat no. Um, he scores. 52 on Tennessee before the bye week. Then has two weeks to prep for LSU, and Ed Orgeron completely dominates him, and he scores 20 points at home. And you beat LSU by six at home with uh, Max, Max Johnson, a quarterback. So if history tells us anything with Bill O'Brien, no, nothing's going to change, and LSU is going to be able to like, – everything that we've put on film is what we're going to run, and LSU, we're just going to make it easy for them. Um so kind of go with that. Do you think Bill O'Brien this year treats it a little bit different since his offense is struggling more than it was last year to this point, and he does some things to get creative in the run game, which you might need with a limited passing game um, if it is 90 100% chance of rain? And, uh, and also Pete Golding, do you think that we see anything scheme-wise that differs from what you saw the first eight games, maybe whether it's, whether it's more pressure in general um, Alabama has not done a great job getting pressure with four guys. Not as not as much as we thought we would have by this point. Uh, we, we thought you could be really disrupted with your front four and then drop seven and and really make the quarterback make some bad decisions uh, when he's got a four or five man route versus seven man coverage. Uh, but obviously that's not the case. So do you think you, you see more man pressures, more zone pressures, more zone in general? Is there anything that we can expect from Pete Golding or Bill O'Brien that differs from what we've seen from them in the first eight games of the season? Yeah, I think last year against LSU was when we really realized that I mean, we got a problem on the offensive line. There was some struggles against Florida late in that game, but a lot of people chalked it up to rowdy environment. A&M. You know, we gave up a lot of pressure on Bryce. But that that LSU game was the one that made you really scratch your head and say, man, the right side of this offensive line is it's bad. I mean, it's really bad. And then, of course, it went down the stretch and we kind of saw 
what every other game looked like the rest of the year. It was Bryce throwing the ball as far as he could and hope the guy J-Mo could run underneath it. But, no, I don't really expect anything maybe different from Bill O'Brien, maybe some wrinkles. But, guys, this offense is what it is. I mean, um, this it's designed like it's designed, and if everything happens right, it's you're going to have a successful play. So, so, no, I don't really expect a lot from Bill O'Brien. I do expect – I do think because the offensive line is a little better and because LSU's pass defense is not a typical LSU pass defense – um, that it's going to open up some things. Listen, they're going to try to blitz. They're going to try to bring pressure. They're going to have to get to Bryce to win this game. Um, but we'll we'll see how how the offensive line and how Bryce communicates and sets his pressures up. And if we get our matchups on the outside, we should be fine. I mean, I I'm still not. I know we we're just talking about Tyler Harrell, man. I, I just don't think like is this guy just going to come in and take somebody's job? Burton, Holden. I'm Bond. good with it. I'm good. No, I'd be I'd be okay with it, Brooks. <laughs> but is he just gonna take? I mean, I just don't. Why not? Necessarily, I just don't see it happening. Well, I mean, the way I, yeah, and, and that makes sense based off of what Nick Saban's done in the past, right? You know, his loyalty yeah, I mean, issue that he's always had. But at the same time, what has anybody done? You know, you uh, you brought up the point a couple of weeks ago. Was it after the um, sorry, the Arkansas, Arkansas? Tennessee is after the Tennessee A&M, game. maybe. I don't know. It's actually the Tennessee game where he was like, you know, maybe we need to make some personnel changes or whatever, and nobody's guaranteed a spot. So if maybe if that's his way of thinking, then I, I can't name one receiver that right now you say, oh, that guy's got to be in the lineup. He's got to be playing. I, I don't think anybody's done well enough job. I think multiple guys have played well in spurts. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks has had some really big games. He's had some really shitty games. Um, JoJo Earl, I think it's a guy that needs to be um. Yeah, getting more balls thrown his way. Uh, but yeah, I think Harold, if he's got talent and if he's just as good as anybody else, I think he can easily slot in. Well, you have you have Prentice and Bond, who I think have been the most from a year long standpoint, maybe the most consistent guys that we've had. And you saw it against Mississippi State. Ben Bond was playing. I mean, this guy he's not coming off the field until he gets hit in the face um, by the t- clear targeting, but. You know, flip it to the defensive side of the ball again with Eli Ricks. I think your your play your play calling can change if you're Pete Golding. You have what we hope now is two lockdown corners, more footballs being thrown over the middle of the field, um, more time, more coverage sacks. That's one thing that we haven't been able to get off because teams have just been so just hey, we're throwing back shoulder or we're taking a two step drop and chunking it up because we know we're gonna come down with 60% of these balls is we haven't been able to have any coverage sacks. I mean, it isn't like, you know, quarterbacks are just staying back there and standing back there and standing back there all day and getting balls off on us. So let, let's see if, if Ricks and Kool-Aid in the mix can force quarterbacks to hang on to the ball longer and at least allow a pass rush to get home. And I think last year, even with Job and Jalen Armour Davis, when they were on the field, Alabama's pass defense was pretty daggum good. Um, and we had a lot of sacks last year. So let's let's just see how it goes. But for Pete, man, I just – I think when something happens to you like Tennessee does, I'm not saying it's a good thing to lose to Tennessee, but, man, you can hit the reset button. You want to talk about a unit that's got to be focused? Probably not the offense. They went out and they put up 42 on the road, put you in position to win at the end. That defense hit the reset button, put your best players on the field. And uh, let's see what we can do. Do I have a lot of faith in Pete Golding? 
Eh, you know, I probably a little more than Bill O'Brien, um, at least with as when they've been on staff together. But we have yet to see. I still think, other than the SEC championship game last year, we have yet to see Bill O'Brien and Pete Golding both just have a hell of a game calling plays, putting their guys in the right position to win a ball game at the same time. Maybe we can put that together down the final stretch and actually play as a full team. Um, but we haven't seen it from these guys very often from the two coordinators. So I'm going to be surprised if we if we see a drastic improvement, at least both at the same time in the same game from both of these guys. And we might need it this week, but I don't know if we'll get it. Yeah, buddy, we, we sure do need it. Um, as of right now, 100% chance of rain in Baton Rouge on Saturday. They say that uh, some heavy stuff could be moving in and out throughout the day. I don't really think the game will be postponed because of rain or thunderstorms or whatever. I don't forecast that. Uh, but, man, rain games, Lester, all bets are off, dude. I mean, skill guys, receivers, running backs, I mean, even quarterbacks, DBs, linebackers, everybody can slip. Just a simple slip can cost you a 70-yard gain both ways. You can give up a 70-yard touchdown. You can get a 70-yard touchdown. You never know how it's going to go, and it's always a risk. Um, the rain neutralizes Alabama's passing game. The weak point of LSU's second – or the weak point of LSU's defense is their secondary. Their best DB is is going to start at corner in, in, in crimson, I guess, the lower white. So, in crimson – um this week for Alabama so their strength is their front seven so lesser if if you do get a game where let's say both passing game let's say both teams throw for under 200 yards who do you think has the edge in this well, if both teams throw for under 200 yards. Yeah, let's, um, say, let's say the rain just got the passing game completely neutralized. Booty can't do anything. Alabama can't do anything. And basically, you just got to play in a box. What, 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 do you, what do you see here? I'm, uh, I'm probably going to give the edge to LSU just because, simply because Jaden Daniels is not afraid to take off and run the ball. Um, he is another guy that you have to account for. Um, in the running game, whereas Bryce, yeah, he can do it. He is shifty. He's speedy. He's fast, but with a bum shoulder, and he's literally you want to protect him as much as possible. You don't want Bryce going out there running all willy nilly on wet turf, on you know not on wet grass. You know what I mean? So under two hundred yards passing, I'll, I'll give that is to LSU simply because of Jaden Daniels. Jaylon, what do you think of that? Because it's hard to it's hard to say because Lester's right about Jaden Dennis. He he prefers to run the ball. He leads LSU in rushing. Um, he's ran for like what 12, 13 touchdowns this year. He especially he loves to run inside the 10-yard line when they get in the red area. But um at the same time, I mean Alabama's strength is their run stopping. LSU's is as well. I think the problem is the offensive line. I think Alabama's got a clear strength, especially like you said, if Seth McLaughlin is 100% ready to go, he brings he 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 he's the better player, especially on the road uh, when you have to communicate in a, in a in a hostile environment. I think LSU starts with two true freshmen on the offensive line. They're good players, but they're very young. And a starter and they, out this week. Yeah. So 
I, I give that slight advantage to Alabama. It is neutralized because of the quarterback running, but say the passing games are both neutralized. What do you think Bama can do offensively? Do you think that they are, that Bob is create can be creative enough in the run game to 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 bust some you know 15, 20 yard runs? And, and how do you think Alabama fares against the running threat of Jaden Daniels? Well, in a rain game, I. You, your passes are going to be if you're if you're effectively running the ball, play action is great. We were texting earlier today about play action. Well, Alabama's problem is we don't run the ball well. Why would anybody be worried about our play action? I mean, they think they can stop the run with four or five guys, and a lot of times they're bringing gas anyways. So it doesn't really matter about our play action. Um, for Bill O'Brien being creative, dude, I don't know what this guy's going to do in the run game. I mean, what what are we going to do? The same, just stretch handoff. Hope to God it works. I, I mean. Run a counter. Do something. I texted Jaws. I forgot. Who was it? Was it Kiffin? I was like, this guy just pulled this counter trap right right out of NCAA 14 and ran it for 80-yard touchdown against Texas A&M. Do something. Um, but, now, again, that's not what Alabama's offense is predicated on. The quarterback run in the rain um, could be big. And, you know, a quarterback on the outside getting loose, receiver, offensive lineman downfield. You just never know, like, how things – how rain can affect a game um, because that clearly takes away what Alabama does well. Good news is Bryce has big hands, probably some other big things. He's just so good, you know. But, you know, he can hold on to that wet football, throw it down the field. and yeah, um, get him a new towel every play. Like, yeah, every play. Every play. I mean, get him 80 towels, one for every play. But, you know, that's that was a, a problem with, you know, Jalen – he didn't, he didn't have the massive hands. I think that was a, a, the knock against him was kind of the Kenny Pickett thing as well. Um, but Bryce is kind of the he, – he can hold on to it. He can sling it. And, uh, you know, we'll see. But I am nervous about Jalen Dan, Daniels running the football. Uh, we, we've, we say we struggle with it. All teams struggle with it. Um, but you're right. Inside the red zone, inside the 10-yard line, their offense changes a little bit. It's not what you see from – 20 to 20, what they do inside the 20. They like the zone read. Um, they like to get the quarterback on the outside. They like to throw with him running, moving out of the pocket. Um, this guy's going to be tough to stop. And everybody was, you know, when it came from Arizona State and, uh, you know, out there in the West Coast, you don't really get to watch him. But this guy's still a dynamic athlete. This guy's a four-star quarterback coming out of high school. This is a good player, a good quarterback that people listening shouldn't just say, well, you know, Jaden Daniels came from Arizona State. Alabama should win this game. It's a good player, and Brian Kelly's a good coach. And uh, he's going to have a plan for this game. Yeah, uh, he was uh, committed to Herm Edwards out there. And uh, he, him and Bo Nix were, like, jockeying for the number one dual-threat quarterback spot. So he was very, very talented coming out of high school. Lester, Pete Golding, or Nick Saban said that they tried to neutralize the quarterback scramble in the passing game against Tennessee by doing a little must rush or whatever. Is that something that needs to happen here? Because in my opinion, if we bring three guys and try to drop eight or bring four and just try to form a line and keep them in the pocket, like at some point you got to go after somebody's ass, right? And, and sure, he might he might score it out and get 20, 25 yards. Okay. But if there's if you're telling me I'm gonna give up two or three big runs in exchange for five or six sacks where you hit him and hit him hard, guess which one I'm going to pick? Like, do you think that Alabama six bat like they did against Tennessee and trying to contain and spy 
Or do you think that Pete Golding finally grows some nuts and goes down to Baton Rouge on the road and says, look, I'm coming after you. You better get rid of the ball quick. I got faith in my corners. I've got faith in my scheme. I got faith in my linebackers that we're, we're coming after your ass. And do you think zone defense would help with that? I mean, I know it would because you're not following a man. You're actually looking at the quarterback because you're playing his own in the field. So do you think that's that's incorporated a little bit this week? Man, I hope so. You you the thing about the game plan, you can't go super, super let's stop the doing from those long run. You can't go all out on doing that from the first play of the game. Because honestly, guys, did did Hidden Hooker really have any big runs against us? A couple. There was I mean 10, 15 yards. He didn't I mean, he didn't like go off for 200 yards or anything, but yeah, he had a couple, right. but I think it just scared him. It scared Golding, and he was just terrified to bring pressure. That's what it seemed well, you like. You gotta pick anyway. your spots, though. I mean, you gotta you gotta gamble a little bit of football to be successful. You have to gamble, especially on the defensive side of the football. You can't play safe, you can't play scared, you can't be well, he is prone to running the football. Let's do our quarterback run, prevent, you know, playback, mushrooms the entire game. You can't do that. You have to pick your spot. You have to be smart. And you have to gamble just a little bit. And I don't understand why that would be so difficult to do. Um, hopefully, they learn from the Tennessee game and they, once again, they go after Jaden Daniels, put pressure on him. It's a big game, you know, put pressure on the guy, get after his ass, and let's see how he relax, how he reacts. One thing that LM does is that they far too many times sit back and let quarterbacks get comfortable, let quarterbacks get in the groove, let them get a the flow going. And now you look up, oh crap, the offense is running smooth for the other team and they're in a the groove, they're going. No, do what you can to disrupt. Pick your spots. Yeah, you may give give up a big play. Okay, so what? You got another four downs to stop them again. So, yes, hopefully there's a change in the game plan and they're a little bit more aggressive. Hopefully they're way more aggressive and they go after him, especially in the rain and all that kind of stuff. Go after that guy. Yeah, bingo. I look for him to do it early and often. Uh, That's my expectation anyway. Guys, we're going to predict the, the Alabama-LSU game here in just a minute, but J-Law, when's the last time you saw a one-versus-three one matchup in the SEC East? Uh, this is more than likely to decide the SEC East. I know it's week nine or week ten, whatever, but uh, still, Georgia facing off at home against the Tennessee Volunteers, Tennessee number one in the college football playoff rankings, Georgia number three. I want, I want to get your prediction on this game because you can argue either side. Tennessee's explosive offense. Georgia, Nolan Smith going down for the year really hurts. They don't have the talent on the defensive side of the ball that they had last year, but they still got some really good players, really highly graded players, especially the safety spot. So, and Georgia's offense is no slouch either. I think they're like third in the country in yards per game, even though they have zero wide receivers. So, Tell me, tell me what you think about this matchup. It's interesting, to, interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I, I, Georgia's inability to get to the quarterback this year is a little weird. They're they're at the bottom of the league, if not the very bottom of the league in sacks. They don't get a lot of pressure. I don't know how you 
affect Hendon Hooker? Is it pressure? Is it must rush? Is it confusing him with different looks? But clearly Georgia's, at least so far this year, certainly they're not a, a threat to get the quarterback on the ground four or five times a game, get Tennessee into some third and long. So the rush defense still very stout. Don't get me wrong. But, listen, Tennessee's not living and dying in the run game. They they like to run it when they have their numbers in the box. But this system from Hypo is – it's it's 2019 LSU good. It's Sark 2020 good. Um, this is a hell of a football team in Tennessee, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But it's on the road. It's been a while since Tennessee's been on the road in, in a really tough environment against a good team. LSU – is a they're an okay team they're a good team georgia's a great team defending national champions known for their defense tops in the country in both categories offense and defense i i'd say georgia just because georgia's at home if georgia was going up there i'd pick tennessee but listen don't it georgia they can they're gonna have some pressure on them in this game they haven't had any pressure on them all year they've got a a, a weak schedule their their whole division is awful outside of Tennessee and Georgia. They their their games, Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt. I mean, this is it's a schedule. This is bad as Michigan. So this is a real test. There's going to be some pressure on Georgia in this game. How do they handle it? It's also a battle between two quarterbacks that are 25 years old in college. That's just weird. What do you think? It's like they have nothing. They're almost our age. What do they talk about in the locker room to an 18 year old kid? It's it's weird. They got to put an age limit on this thing. Yeah, Hendon's in his sixth, seventh year uh, transfer from Georgia Tech. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, yeah, gotta be forty-five and still in college. Lester, why couldn't you be a four-star offensive tackle for Mountain Brook? Like you looked like that one time in that picture. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I still like Georgia. I just. I don't think Kirby is one to um, prepare weekly for a team. I think he is one that will look ahead. And and ever since Tennessee beat Alabama, he will take that blueprint. And basically, you know what not to do. You don't run man-to-man with these guys. You play as much zone as you can, and you get pressure. I think Jalen Carter, coming back from his injury, you know, he missed four or five games. I think he went down like the first quarter of the Oregon game. And uh, so he, he's been hurt for a while. He he caused some caused some issues against Florida. I look for him to be a big problem on the interior against Tennessee, which really neutralizes their run game. And uh, that's something that people don't talk about enough is, is the tempo. But if you stop the run on the tempo, then you stop the offense. That's That's what it is. That's what Pittsburgh was able to do and all these teams that kept Tennessee under 40. And, and I know that's – it seems like still a lot of points, but, I mean, with Tennessee scoring just about 45, 50 on everybody they play, it's a win. If you keep these guys to 38 points, you feel like you can win the game, and I think that's something Georgia can do. I, I don't look for Tennessee to get to that 40 mark. I look at it somewhere around a, a four. And, dude, Georgia, their offense coordinator, it, he just does stuff so simple – to get Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington open because that's the only two guys he's going to throw to. He's not going to throw to anybody else. But if you if you focus on those guys because they're involved in the run game so much, 
and you try to sit back and cover them off the line or out of their motions, and they're just gonna pound, just gonna pound you with with running the football with the stable of three or four running backs that they run. So it seems boring and it seems simple, but Georgia Georgia's got a very effective offense. Um, for with you know with with those dual tight ends that they like to run. So I look for this game to be around 42-35, maybe 45-38, somewhere like that. I think Georgia wins, wins right at a touchdown. I think the line's around eight right now. Uh, I look for Tennessee to get under that number, but I still think Georgia wins the game. Lester, what you got here? Man, I'm going to go with Tennessee to win the game. I'm going to go with – the, the volunteers. Well, you've been kissing their ass since July, so you might as well go ahead. Did you? It was your fault we lost, by the way. You caught it in August. You're like, oh, Bama's gonna slip up. It's gonna be Tennessee. Well, guess what? You owe me a cigar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that um, it's just I don't know. I, I think that their their offense is is electric. Where's that game at? It's on. It's on. It's in Georgia, right? Oh yeah, ain't no doubt. And Kirby's like challenged the students and like challenged the fan base to be the loudest in the country or something like that. I mean, he's all over. He's playing. Right. He's playing to the field. Um, I, I'm gonna predict uh, Tennessee there. I just, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I I don't trust Georgia's offense despite the numbers. For some reason, their quarterback. I I just have no respect for the guy. Um, he's just not very impressive to me until he plays Bama. Um, but yeah, I'm going to roll with Tennessee. Um, Lester, go ahead, go ahead and stay with you, and, and let's do a LSU Bama prediction there. How do how do you think this one's going to go in, in Death Valley on Saturday night? Twenty four thirteen Bama. Low scoring because of the rain. I can see that. Because the rain, yeah. Yeah, I like uh, – man, Bama scores 24 points. I don't care if it's the rain or not. That's just ridiculous. Like, I mean, it, as long as – to me, as long as it's not raining during the game, I think you're okay. Now, right, I think right. that's going to be the case. I think it's going to rain a lot during the day. It might quit right before game time. I'm going to relate this weather-wise to – you remember the game in, in Oxford during the COVID year when Alabama won like what 62 to 48 or something like that? It rained all day long. I think was the game pushed back? I can't remember. I don't think so. Uh it may maybe it wasn't, but it rained all day and it quit like right before right before kickoff. And so the field was soppy, it was soaked, but rain was not coming down during the game. And so as long as you get those kind of weather conditions. I still have faith in the Alabama passing game. Of course, you know, you don't want Bryce running around and slipping down for a 15-yard loss, uh, which is which is likely to happen. You just you just never know. There's so many question marks when when the field is wet. I'm gonna say 30 to 21, Todd. And I mm. Yeah, thirty. Yeah, thirty. Thirty. Let's go thirty to twenty-one. Tied. We'll just, we'll go with that. Will Riker knocks in a couple of field goals. You know, moving the ball inside the twenties, stall out in the red zone, stuff like that. JLo, what you got? Hey, I'm I'm going over the top on this one. Like you said, I think it, I think the forecast is rain in the morning. Probably about after lunch, slow down. Probably nothing during the game. So listen, if I like Alabama, man. I just don't 
I just don't see they this don't match up. I mean, they they, don't, like, I mean how many they times don't. have we said that this year? They they don't match up with us on paper. I mean, we went over their offensive line issues. They're going to start two true freshmen. They got a, another guy that's out. Their front seven's good. Their D-line's really good. But their secondary's very bad. So, if Alabama's healthy like they should be. And there's a freshman calling their defense. Yeah. And Harold Perkins. Listen, they don't match up. Um, I really don't. We said it. A couple times, one of those was a mill road game. The other one was Texas in a million degrees. Um, Tennessee, they did match up. I mean, they showed us they matched up. So uh, they're number one in the country. I just don't think LSU does. I don't. I just think our our bread and butter is their weakness. I really don't think that we have a weakness on defense other than Pete Golden game planning with Nick Saban against really good offenses. Um, I'll go thirty eight. I'm going 38-17, statement game, on the road, 21 points, three tutties, Bryce Young back in the Heisman race. So he had, he's going to have four of those touchdowns through the air. Um, I like a big day for Bama on this one. We're not going to be – I think this is a game that everybody thinks that we will be sweating, that when you start the fourth quarter, you're going to say, this one's in hand. Man, I would love that. Buddy, I hope you're right. God. And you know it. It's it should be that way. It really should. But Texas should have been that way. Texas A and M should have been that way. Mississippi State should have been worse. And really Tennessee. I mean, you, you go out there, you don't commit seventeen penalties. You know who knows? That might be a, a forty nine to thirty eight game. You, you just never know. That that one should have been a cover as well. So really, the only the only game you went on the road and took care of business was. Mississippi State last year and Arkansas this year, but you know credit to three three busted plays, not busted plays, but three long runs by Alabama, um, certainly contributed to that. So yeah, man, I, it, on paper it should be a statement game for Alabama. You should go down there and win the game, thirty eight to seventeen, and, and blow their ass out of their own stadium. But it just hadn't been the case for Alabama. But Jayla, hope you're right. Um, so uh, yeah, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU. Four top ten teams in the same conference going at it this weekend. Uh, going to be a fun one. Going to be a blast. Everybody eat your corn dogs. Uh, don't let any coon asses intimidate you. I think Alabama was like, what, 29-9 and nine all time in Death Valley. Uh, it's like Bryant, Denny, Southwest. So, um, should go down there, handle business. Let's hope because, hey, this is, a, this is an SEC West this is a division title on the line. And if you win this one, then next week in Oxford, you got another division title on the line. So back-to-back huge games for Alabama. We can't stress that enough. But until next week, Roll Tide. It's episode 76 of the Gumpreneurs Podcast. Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell. We appreciate Brett Baker coming on with us. We'll talk to you next week.